Howdy folks and welcome to another edition of TGC Midweek. First pod of 2020, back from the break. Michael, how are you, sir? New decade. That's right. Feels good. Yeah. Uh, any New Year's resolutions this year? You know, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Uh, my resolution is to make a lot of smaller choices on a daily basis that hopefully over the year will lead up to something good. Oh, man, that's really uh, that's really mean. But mine's learn how to fish. <laughs> so that's a lot less <laughs> in, like, you no, know, grand sound. If I could make one small, better choice a day, that probably would lead to uh, a lot of good things by the end of the year. That's why you're the pastor and I just impersonate a host. So. <laughs> Uh, oh, now you're making me feel bad. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Did y'all do anything for uh, Christmas time? Did y'all go anywhere? Uh, visited Tennessee. Okay. Uh, we were in Nashville visiting my wife's family and then in Memphis visiting my family for nice. a few nights. Nice. Cold about, up there? Uh, it was a little chillier yeah. than San Antonio. Sure. We were happy to get back. Yeah, we had a lovely spring this Christmas. <laughs> that That's <time>. right. <laughs> well, I tell folks uh, this is the time of year. This is why you live in San Antonio. Oh, uh, yeah. It's nice. It's nice. 70 degrees and sunny in January. Can't be Yeah, beat. it's great. Yeah. What'd y'all do? Oh, not too much. You know, uh, first Christmas with the little one. So we were here. My wife's family's here in town. So we went and, and saw them on Christmas Day. And weekend after, we went and saw my folks in Houston. So, um, yeah, got to see some family. Took some time off. Very good time. Good. Relaxing, you know. Um, what was your favorite Christmas gift? Um, I, I got a fly rod. Ah. My folks gave me a fly rod, so I'm going to try nice. to learn to fly fish. and Good. Yeah, that kind of thing. What about a- you? After a decade of living in Texas, I got a pair of cowboy boots. Nice. Um, and I uh, I got some golf club grips. Oh. I got to regrip my golf clubs. Well, isn't that something? That's a big deal. <laughs> Coming from a non-golfer, that sounds... <laughs> Boring, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure others would disagree. So and I got a pair of socks. There you go. There you go. Socks yep. are great gifts. Um, well, what are we talking about today? So um, no new series this week. We're just going to kind of uh, chat about something. Got a good question this week. I think we'll maybe launch into a new series uh, next week or, or in the weeks coming. Um, but we, we got a good question this week about, um, well, the question is basically this. How can we understand God to be good if there's so much suffering in the world? How do I understand God to be good if um, I experience um, strife at home, um, the death of loved ones, um, frustrations at work or loss of a job? Mm -hmm. How is God good in the midst of all this suffering? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about God being good at Trinity Grace and working for our good. And uh, as we mention those things from the front on a Sunday morning, people can feel a tension uh, with that. Like, okay, I'm hearing that God works for my good, but it sure doesn't feel that way in Mm -hmm. my everyday life. And so this idea of suffering and pain and disappointment is uh, is something that everybody experiences to one degree or another. And there's certain areas or times in life where we feel it more acutely. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's helpful to think in uh, a few different categories or give folks categories to think about this question. And the first thing that just comes to my mind is the idea that we are living in a fallen world. Yeah. And oftentimes in our culture, uh, a culture that gravitates towards comfort, uh, towards easing suffering, uh, a culture that really convinces ourselves that we can fix any problem we have. When we come upon a problem that we don't have the resources for, it really throws us for a loop. 
and it, it forces us to face the potency of sin, yeah. I think, in ways that we don't normally like to face it. And so um, I think that this tension of God working for our good on one hand, but we still live in a fallen, broken world on another is something that has to be recognized as we talk about this question. And we don't just live in a fallen world. That makes it almost sound nicer than it is. I mean, we live in a world that's been devastated by sin. Um, And uh, we are fighting against spiritual forces, the Bible would say, that want to destroy us. And so um, that want to take and rob uh, our our faith in the goodness of God. And so um, I just I, I feel like we've got to face the potency of that brokenness and sin head on. Um, and then there's a few other uh, things that I think about um, when it comes to this question categories to think through. Uh, one is kind of a philosophical um, uh, category, and that is, that if God isn't working in our suffering, in our pain that we experience, then it actually makes it worse. Um, because I think that somebody that is suffering and experiencing pain, knowing that God is using what we feel like is, is suffering and pain and is suffering and pain for ultimate good, actually gives us a sense of hope um, that God's at work in our lives in this world. Whereas if he's not using our suffering for any better good mm-hmm. in the future, then it's really the most hopeless situation yeah. you could come up yeah. with. Um, and so uh, the idea that God is using our suffering, even though we, we probably in the middle of suffering don't want to hear that, um, actually provides some comfort, I think, because the alternative is that suffering's not being used at all, and we're yeah. just suffering for suffering's sake. Yeah, this is a tough thing because if you're dealing with something as tragic as of like um, the death of a spouse or another loved one or something, um, and someone just comes up to you and slaps you on the sol- shoulder and says, "Hey, don't worry, Bucko. There's a reason for everything." Mm-hmm. That's that's not a satisfying. Kind of answer, and it almost it almost makes you. I mean, your your point there is is the alternative is is you know things are meaningless. Well, if it's yep. like that, that almost makes you feel better in that circumstance because then you can just be angry at something. Sure, I think it's really easy here for people to see a difference between. Um, well, we have to understand God's providence versus the acute suffering that we experience in our life. God is the primary cause of all things, and from that primary cause, there are secondary causes, all of which happen within the hand of of God's providence. And so, <clears throat> as a Christian, I take comfort that when I do experience acute suffering in my life, one, as you pointed out, um, it is in some way symptomatic of the fall, mm-hmm. um, and two, it's it's happening within the hand of my loving Father. Sure. Um, who, if it weren't for the fall, these things wouldn't happen to me. Yep. Um, and so it's not a God-authored thing. Mm-hmm. It is happening within the providence and control of God, which, which, you know, maybe in the moment doesn't make you feel very good, yep. but perhaps after some time makes you understand that, um, you know, really the anger and frustration should not be uh, – towards God, but towards the fallen condition yes. of the world. That is exactly what I was thinking as you were talking. Um, we tend to be angry at God and actually think that the scriptures give us resources to channel that anger even towards mm-hmm. him and he can handle it. But we we don't often get angry at 
sin. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we live in a fallen, broken world and things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we're trafficking through tears and pain and suffering. And God is currently actively working in such a way where he will wipe away every tear from every eye and there will be no mourning, no more pain in the new heavens and the new earth. But that is not today. Mm-hmm. And so when we get angry, um, I think that it it might be worthwhile to think more about getting angry at sin and the brokenness and fallenness of this world um, and then trusting God that he's using um, evil for good. Yeah. Um, for our ultimate good. It is interesting that um, as you read scripture, especially in the Psalms, there's um, specific Psalms of lament where the psalmist is, I mean, almost yelling at God in some, in some instances. And so it's, um, I think it says something about God's character that his word mm-hmm. gives us specific, gives us really a, a way to complain against him. Um, Psalm 102 is a good uh, resource here. Um, yeah, just an interesting thing. E- even sure. though God is not the proper source of our anger, he, he, I don't know if, I don't know if this is correct to say, but encourages us to, you know, level those complaints and frustrations yep. against him. Yep. And I've always thought of lament. A good definition for lament is protest against the fallen quality of life before the face of God. Yeah. And that's what you see in the Psalms. In fact, some theologians and biblical scholars would say that 70% of the Psalms are lament. Yeah. Now, not like 70% of the totality of the Psalms, the verses that we have in the Psalms are lament, not 70 out of the 150 Psalms we have yeah. are lament or whatever. Um, but, uh, and it just, when you think about that in contrast to our current Christian culture in America, um, I think I saw a stat a year or two ago that there's not one top 100 song on the Christian contemporary list uh, of top 100 songs that would be classified lament. Mm-hmm. And so we're just not taught how to do it very well in our churches and in this culture. And I think that has something to do uh, with this uh, tension we feel uh, that that has brought this question about. We just don't know how to lament. We don't have yeah. to get angry at sin. That's certainly something I think we should bring sure. back in the church is that's how to lament, you know. Um, one of the things, though, I think about, too, um, yeah, I guess there's there's a few other things I'd like to just throw out. Um, one is the idea um, of the fact that we are finite and God is infinite. Um, and so we don't know what God's doing. Um, and he simply calls us to trust in his goodness. And I know that sounds a little bit um, maybe trite or pejorative to say it that way, um, but I think it's the truth um, that God is weaving a tapestry. He is orchestrating events in our lives alongside other people's lives in such a way that it is working for our ultimate good. And the fact that we don't know what that's going to look like or what he's doing oftentimes doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he's doing or that it's not going to be beautiful. Yeah. It just means we're finite and he is infinite and, and he's weaving that tapestry and in some ways we're called to trust. And the idea, too, of um, kind of short term versus long term goodness. When we talk about God working for our good, we're talking about in an ultimate sense most of the time. And that does not mean that we won't lose loved ones. It doesn't mean that we won't be diagnosed with diseases uh, that might take our lives. It doesn't mean that we won't experience job loss or suffering. Um, but in the midst of that, we believe that God is working for our ultimate good. 
um, but it may mean temporal suffering. Um, and I guess we'd just be remiss not to say that God uses that suffering to sharpen us, to shape us, to mold us, to force us to trust. And I guess we just don't want to presume that everybody would say this, but if you talk to a lot of folks that suffer, at the end of that suffering as they're reflecting, uh, you hear a lot of folks say that it forced me to rely on God and to grow in Him mm-hmm. in ways that I never would have grown if if I didn't endure that suffering. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, that's not the way that we choose to grow, um, but it's the way that, that we tend to grow. Um, and so... Um, that's at least something to consider. It does not make suffering better. Yeah. Um, but if if we don't have that in mind, then I think we're missing something that the Bible talks about. It is great that God can use the um, horrible effects of the fall for our ultimate good. Sure. Um, I think that's kind of the point that we've we've sort of been circling around. And, and two, it, it forces us to um, yearn for things to be better. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we experience any litany of sufferings and we recognize that this is not there's a even even if you had never read the bible before there's an innate feeling um in you about certain things should not be parents should not bury their children i mean there's just certain things that are just recognized as like this is not the way things are meant to be and so this is this creates a yearning in each person mm-hmm. for um you know the way things should be yep, yep. And, and ultimately is a way that just through the natural course of events um, the gospel can become known to people. Yep, absolutely. And I guess there's there's two other things I want to throw out there before we close up tonight. Um, one is we're able to talk about this because we're sitting at uh, a kitchen table um, and we're well clothed and we have jobs yeah. and our health is intact and we've got a Bible open. Um, and it's just easy to talk about these things in theological, theoretical terms uh, but when you're actually engaging with somebody that's undergoing suffering or pain, um, you you see in the book of Job uh, that, you know, Job, who is a righteous man, um, undergoes severe suffering, and then his three buddies come along and sit next to him and try to explain to him why that suffering occurred and what he did to cause that mm. suffering in his life. And that's really the book of Job up to the end when God shows up and takes them all to task. Um, and basically says, you don't know what I'm doing. Were you there, you know, when I created the earth? Were you there when I, um, when I uh, flung the stars into the skies? Basically highlighting this finite, infinite um, distinction that I was speaking of earlier. And uh, when we experience folks that are suffering, a lot of times we just need to go sit uh, to pray, um, to mourn and grieve with them and to get angry at the fact that this is not the way life or this world yeah. is supposed to be. And so I think Job provides a lot of wisdom for us and how we actually deal with and relate with people that are suffering because uh, we can't come to them in moments of suffering and say, God's working all things out for your good. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's often not our place to provide answers. Sometimes yes. just to sit, you know, sit next to someone and say, man, that sucks. Because as this discussion has seen has has made clear there's no satisfying answers to this, yep, this, yep. To this question. Sure. So. And the last thing that I'd, I'd end with probably, because I think it's one of the most compelling, important uh, parts of this conversation, is the fact that we worship a God who came into this fallen world to suffer yeah. with us. 
And um, it is just a down payment on the fact mm. that God is orchestrating all events, um, even the ones uh, that bring great pain and suffering into our lives for ultimate good, yeah. because you see it on the cross. Um, God's suffering, um, but by way of his suffering, bringing about life for the entire world. And um, that is encouragement for us as we suffer. We worship a God who knows that we suffer, who cries with us, um, who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death and can actually be with us in an empathetic way, um, but has also uh, come to suffer so that he can fix our suffering one day fully and finally. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of, uh, I've got, I, you know, I knew we were going to talk about this, and um, I've got, I'd love to end with this story, and I don't want to make it dramatic where, like, we just end with it. And so if you have anything else you want to say after <laughs> no, I share no, this I, story, I please do. We'll close it out after um, this. You just want to close it with this story? Okay, well, that's great. Um, then it's going to be dramatic, so get ready. Um but there's a part in the Chronicles of Narnia that I love, the magician's nephew, where one of the main characters, Diggory, is sent on a mission to save Narnia, uh, but he's about to lose his mother to sickness back at home. And he knew Aslan, who represents Jesus in these stories, had the power to heal his mother. And the story picks up with Aslan asking Diggory, are you ready? Yes, said Diggory. He had for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help if you'll promise to help my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person one could make bargains with. But when he had said yes, he thought of his mother and he thought of the great hopes he had had and how they were all dying away. And a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes and he blurted out, But please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the orange face of the lion was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. And I think it's a great um, just uh, illustration of the fact that God looks at our suffering and our pain and the sin we experience in this world and he hates it more than we hate it. He's sad and sorry about it more than we're sad and sorry about it. And he's come to do something about it in the person of Jesus. And he'll one day fully and finally um, make all things new. Mm. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to TGC Midweek. Um, if you've got questions you'd like us to take a stab at, or if you have ideas for topics for discussion or ideas for future series, uh, send those in too. Um, we always love getting those kind of ideas. Love hearing your questions. Uh, but until next next time, this has been TGC Midweek, and we'll see you later.